going to preach with him today, and we're going to greet him by clapping our hands and magnifying the Lord as Brother Bryce Cosme comes to preach. God bless you, Brother Cosme. Let's all lift our hands across this house. God, we worship you right now. We praise you right now, Jesus. Oh, God, I wonder right now if someone could lift up their voice and worship. Lift up your voice and give God your heart. Lift up your voice and give God your worries. Lift up your voice and give God the situation. When Jehoshaphat was worried about the enemy, God moved on someone to tell him this battle is not yours, but it belongs to the Lord. We're worried about stuff that isn't even ours to begin with. We're trying to struggle through some things that wasn't even ours to deal with in the first place. I wonder right now if we can lift up a hand, if we can lift up our voice, if we can lift up our problem. And as we begin to lift some things up, there's a God that begins to replace those things with other things that are better. He's going to give you peace today. He's going to give you freedom today. He's going to give you joy today. He's going to give some strength today. He's going to give somebody the Holy Ghost today. He's going to give somebody deliverance today. Come on. When Jesus went to the house of Zechariah, he said, this day salvation is come to your house. He wants to give someone salvation today. Does anybody have a need in their life? Does anybody have a need in their body? Does anybody have a need that they don't know what's going to happen next? They don't know what tomorrow holds. They don't know what to expect. They don't see how anything could ever get any better. They can't envision how things could possibly improve. You've come to the right place today because we serve a God that specializes in the impossible. We serve a God that when everybody else steps out, he steps in. We serve a God that when all the world is set against you, he'll stay with you in the middle of the storm. And he'll speak words that cause the winds and the waves to cease immediately. Is anybody thankful to be in the house of the Lord today? Give honor to this great church. Give honor to a great pastor, Brother Bradford. Anybody thankful for a pastor in your life? Someone that represents the kingdom of God. Someone that fights the battles of the kingdom of God. Someone who maintains the things of God. Thankful for pastors. Thankful for vision. Thankful for leadership. Thankful for heritage. Anybody thankful for heritage? Everything may not look just the same. But the power is the same. The glory of God that we feel in these services is still the same. I'm thankful for God that never changes. If you have your Bibles with you, let's go to the book of Matthew, chapter number 15, verse number 21. There was a preacher who was preaching revival at a church. And an elderly woman walks in through the back door and finds an usher. She says, I, I need to go sit down somewhere towards the front. I'd like to sit on the front row for this service. And he said, oh, sister, you don't want to sit on the front row. He said, that preacher's breath smells so bad. So he sweats, and when he swings his arms, that sweat flies off his wrist. It might get you right in the face. 
He said, to be honest with you, I shook his hand. I don't even know when's the last time he took a shower. You do not want to sit on that front row. And that elderly lady said, brother, do you know who I am? He said, no. He said, I'm the preacher's mom. And then he asked her, he said, ma'am, do you know who I am? She said, no. He said, oh, thank God. I'm thankful today that God knows who I am. And I know who he is. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 21. The Bible says, then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. But he answered her not a word. But he answered her not a word. And then in Job chapter 26 and verse 6, the word of God reads, Hell is naked before him, and destruction hath no covering. He stretcheth out the north over the empty place, and hangeth the earth upon nothing. Hangeth the earth upon nothing. And in Matthew 15 and 23, but he answered her not a word. This morning, for a few minutes, I want to preach on this subject, hanging on to nothing. Hanging on to nothing. If you would, let's put our Bibles down. Let's lift our hand toward the Lord one more time. And let's ask Him to be our help for the remainder of this service. Lord, we need your spirit to move. We need your power to be felt. We need your anointing to break every yoke. God, we need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. We need you to move upon us today. We need you to speak to us today. I wonder right now, can someone lift up a prayer of expectation? Can someone lift up a prayer that says, God, I don't know how, I don't know when, but I believe that you are going to step in to my circumstance. I don't know how it's all going to unfold, but God, I'm holding on to you. God bless you. You may be seated. In the Titanomachy, which in Greek mythology was a battle that took place amongst the gods. To one side of the battle was an older generation of gods known as the Titans. And on the other side, they fought against the younger generation of gods that were called the Olympians. And this war was fought to decide who would have dominion over the universe. And in their mythologies, it ends in victory for the younger generation of the Olympians. And after their defeat, classical Greek tradition teaches that Atlas, their god, is punished with the task of holding the earth upon his back for eternity. In Chinese mythology, it is taught that their goddess cut the legs off 
of a giant turtle. And those legs are now holding up the earth. In Hindu and Native American traditions, it is taught that the earth is not being held up by just the legs of a turtle, but that the earth is being held up by 16 elephants that stand on the back of a giant turtle. So many traditions about how this earth remains in its position. Yet in the book of Job, chapter number 26, which quite possibly was penned long before God would ever inspire Moses to write the account of creation in the writings of Genesis, Job declared to his listeners that the earth was hanging upon absolutely nothing. The earth is stretched and hung upon nothing. And with all that being said, to us, the earth may appear to be hanging upon absolutely nothing. It may appear to us that this earth is freely floating through the universe. However, the earth is maintaining a position of complete stability. And all of its tilting and all of its rotating and all of its orbits, if that was all left uncontrolled, we would see drastic shifts in temperature and climate and the planet would become uninhabitable. Yet, because of the stabilizing effects of gravity, the stabilizing effects of the moon, our rotational axis is kept from wandering all over outer space. And our climate is able to maintain its consistency. You didn't show up for a science lesson today, but this is what you're going to get. Along with this, the perfection of Earth's orbit keeps us nearly the same distance from the sun at all times. Slightly closer, and our world would overheat, dry out, and everything we see would die. Slightly farther away, if we ever slipped a few feet away from our orbit, everything we know and see would freeze over and die. Beyond this, the Earth also maintains a stable magnetic field, deflecting solar flares that would otherwise incinerate our planets. And as important as all of that is to us, our vegetation system consistently fills the atmosphere with the perfect amount of oxygen, which gives us the ability to breathe. And with all of that in mind, we read in our Bibles, in the book of Job, chapter number 26, that Job proclaimed to his listeners that beyond the awe-inspiring opportunity for life, beyond the wonders of the universe, beyond the mystery of this place that we call earth, 
we can see nothing in place that is holding it up. We can see nothing in place that is preserving it and protecting it. We can see nothing in place that is providing for it. The earth has absolutely no power in and of itself. But as a foundation of this message and our time together in the presence of the Lord, I've come to preach to someone that although it may seem that the earth is hanging upon nothing, behind the scenes of what we are able to see, beyond our limited vision and understanding. There is a God who sits upon his throne and he holds it all together. We learned it in Sunday school when we sang the song, he's got the whole world in his hands. The earth has been positioned exactly where God has intended for it to stay. The earth contains exactly what God has intended for it to contain. And this earth moves exactly as God has calculated for it to move. Isaiah 44, 24, Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. Jeremiah 51, 15, He hath made the earth by His power. He hath established the world by His wisdom. And He hath stretched out the heaven by His understanding. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Psalms he said, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. When I consider thy heavens, thy work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him. As we consider the greatness of the universe, as we consider the earth and its orbits and the perfection of balance between oxygen and carbon dioxide, as we consider the perfect balance between water and earth, as we consider the perfect balance of gravity, as we consider the perfect balance of the seasons, of the spring, the summers, the falls, and the winters, and as we recognize that there is a God that is holding it all together, I wonder if we can step back and look at our situation and realize that although somebody, you better preach with me right now, although my world is spinning out of control, although I don't understand what I'm going through right now, although I don't understand why things are heating up and other things are dying, there's a God that holds it all together.
You better realize right now that God is holding you in his hands. You better realize right now that you were on the wake-up list this morning. You better realize right now that if your heart is beating, there's a purpose that lies within you. I know the past was a wreck. I know the present circumstance is very hopeless, but there is still a God that holds the world, and he holds your world in his hands. Oh, let's worship the Lord for about 30 seconds. God, I want you to confirm to your word to somebody today. God, I want you to let somebody know. I want you to let somebody know that you're there for them. I want you to let somebody know that you're holding them up. I want you to let somebody know that you're walking with them. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death that God has called me to walk through. I'll fear no no evil because I know that he's with me. He said, if I ascend up into the heavens, behold, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. You may be living in a season of blessing. You may be living in a season of confusion. But in the midst of it all, God is still there. You may be seated behind the scenes of what appears to be a destruction, behind the scenes of everything we're looking at right now. Job lost everything in the day, lost more than we may ever have in the day. But you know what he said? The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He says, I don't know why this is happening, but I know that it's God that's working behind the scenes. John 14 and 8. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Jesus spoke of the Father. John 10 and 30, when he said, I and my Father are one. John 5, 43, when he said, I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another come in his own name, him you will receive. Jesus spoke many times of the Father. And at this point, these disciples had walked with him for years and they're still wondering who the father was. And Jesus looked at them and said, have I been so long time with you? And yet thou hast not known me. We've lived for God. We've served the Lord. We've followed after him. We've sacrificed to live this life. We've done everything we can to be faithful to him. But I wonder, do we really recognize who he is today? Do we really recognize the one who we've been walking with as our father? Isaiah 9 and 6 said, Unto us a son is born, unto us a child is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. 
Do you realize today that he is your father? You know, our relationship with God would be a lot better if we would see him as our father. Because fathers forgive the mistakes of their children. Fathers never leave their children behind. A good father will be there no matter what. A good father will be there at the midnight hour. A good father will be there in the middle of whatever their child is going through. But you know what I realize our problem is? Sometimes because we did not have a father, because we've never seen that exemplified to us, we don't really understand that relationship between a daughter or a son and their father. Let me tell you, your father may have been an idiot, but in Psalms 27 and 10, David said, when my mother and my father forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. You may have not had much of a father, but there's a God who we can call Abba Father. You may have not had a provider, but there's a God that knows what you have need of. You may have not had anybody to show you how to do an oil change, but there's a God that knows how to show you how to walk through life and do what needs to be done for your family. Let me talk to somebody about a God that walks with us no matter what we lack, no matter what we didn't have. There's a God that stands in the gap and is what we need. It was Josiah. Josiah's father was a reprobate. His grandfather was a reprobate. But the Bible says he walked in the paths of his father, David. His father was not David, but he grabbed a hold of somebody that lived for God and said, would you be my father? That's why the church is so important for young people, because you may have not had a father, but there's some people here that can show you how to live for God. You may not know how to pray, but there's some sisters on Monday morning that'll show you how to pray. You may not know how to give, but there's some people in business that'll show you how to give, that'll show you how to work, that'll show you how to make it. Do you realize today, do you realize today the God that we serve is our Father? 2 Corinthians 4 and 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. When the prodigal son was in the middle of the foreign land, he looked out and said, I will arise, and I will go to my father. Yet, in the midst of our struggles, we have all this biblical knowledge We've had all these spiritual experiences. We know what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. We know what it means to have victories in life. We know those moments that God was there for us. There's no doubt about it. When we look back, we see many victories. Yet in the midst of this current struggle, in the midst of this current setback, in the midst of this current uncertainty, we may find ourselves believing that there is absolutely nothing left to hang on to. I'm not talking about someone who's backsliding. I'm not talking about somebody who's fallen into sin. I'm talking about those who have stayed faithful to God. And yet at this moment, we do not see any possibility of things ever getting better. Psalms 13 and 1. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel 
in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily. How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Psalms 22 and 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and am not silent. That is in your Bible. Someone who dealt with a feeling of being abandoned by God. Even David, the one who we know as the man after God's own heart, when he found himself in what appeared to be an impossible situation, he began to ask the question, Where are you, God? Where is my answer? God, I've been faithful in serving you. And where is the promise? Where is the reward for my faithfulness? Where is that open door I've been praying about? When is my breakthrough coming? When are you going to elevate me? When are you going to promote me? When is the sun going to shine again? When is the anxiety going to clear up? When is the depression going to go away? When is the oppression going to go away? When are these thoughts going to leave me? I'm talking about somebody that lived for God, that suffered with these questions. I'm not talking about wicked Rehoboam, that king. I'm not talking about Jeroboam, that wicked king. But I'm talking about David, a man that loved God. But yet he questioned where his God was when he needed him the most. John chapter 1 and verse 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh the man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be manifest to Israel. Therefore I am come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. John's message and his ministry was all about the soon coming king called the Messiah. The everlasting king of Israel. And no doubt the greatest moment in his life was to finally see the reality of what he was preaching. And he saw it with his own eyes. When he looked up and he said, behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. He said, I've been preaching. I've been working. So I've been, I've been on Google looking for my next message I'm about to preach. I've been doing the ministry. I've been doing everything I can. I've been making sure that people are faithful. I've been taking attendance. I've been keeping the gate locked. I've been protecting the things of God. I've been doing everything I can. Trying to stay faithful. So that one day I will see the reality of what I've been praying for. Faithful to the house of God, if I could say it that way. Faithful to the things of God. Faithful to the call of God. Faithful to what he was supposed to do. He was on duty for the kingdom of God. 
and he sees the Lord finally. There he is. There's the one I've been, I've been preaching. There's the one that I've been telling people to follow. There's the one that I've been, I've been telling people, even two of his disciples. He said, no, I'm sorry, this, this, this little ministry right here is not big enough for you. You've got to go follow him now. He said, I, I don't have what it takes. Uh, you've got to go to one greater than I. He said, me, I've got to decrease so that he can increase. Basically, when he saw Jesus, his attitude changed, and he was ready to step back and let Jesus take over. But when we go a little bit further in the Bible to Matthew chapter 11 and verse 1 says, And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come or do we look for another? Hold on. John, John, you're the one that said, behold, the Lamb of God. John, you said that you saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove upon him. John, you gave two of your best men to follow after him. John, you said that you were going to decrease and he was going to increase. John, you were sure about some things when you saw him the last time. But when John begins to go through some suffering, we see John being cast in prison while Jesus, the Messiah, seemingly did nothing to stop it. And to make things worse, this Messiah that he proclaimed was not doing anything in his opinion to establish the kind of earthly kingdom that John was expecting. And as he sits alone in isolation, John's faith began breaking down into a deep pit of doubt. John, what happened to you? I'll tell you what happened to John. He went through suffering, and he got all by himself in isolation. And in the middle of isolation, everything that he had saw with his own eyes, everything he proclaimed with his own words, now became very doubtful. Isolation is the enemy of our faith. Isolation will eat away at our conscience and make us doubt the very presence of God that we have seen with our own eyes and the promises of God that we've held on to for many years. Isolation is the enemy of healing. Isolation is the enemy of our salvation. Isolation is an open door for spirits of fear and confusion to prey upon our minds. People of God Isolation is never the answer. Society has mistakenly painted and elevated the lone wolf mentality. The lone wolf mentality, we're so impressed by that. We're so impressed by a wolf that can walk his own road through the shadows all by himself. The lone wolf mentality is used to represent strong leaders Successful entrepreneurs, motivated men and women that are set on a mission. While seemingly it is an inspiring idea, a wolf that seeks out its own prey while ruling over its own territory and walking its own path. But the truth of the lone wolf mentality is the same for wolves as it is for people, especially God's people. Those who separate themselves from the larger community in pursuit of their goals end up becoming weak, 
alone and dying in isolation. Those who separate themselves from the larger community in pursuit of their goals end up becoming weak, alone, and dying in our isolation. Today, we need to get out from under our rock and we need to reconnect. We need to reconnect to the house of God. We need to reconnect to the work of God. We need to reconnect to the promises of God. The reason you may feel like you're hanging on to nothing is because you haven't connected yourself to anything. You may feel like there's nobody that calls you. It's because they don't even know what you're doing. You feel like there's nobody out there that even cares whether you not come to church. What are you involved in? What are you accountable to? What are people expecting you to show up for? You start doing some of those things and you will get some people wondering where you are. But if you stay unaccountable, if you stay weak and alone, you will die in isolation. Psalms 27 and 13, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. The church isn't a perfect place. The church is full of people, and people will never be perfect. But the church is the greatest thing that you could ever be a part of. Let's clap our hands and worship the Lord. John F. Kennedy said, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. Ask not what does the church do for you, but what can you do for the kingdom of God? What can you do for the mission that God has put on your life? What can you do to make a difference? What can you do to be a support, to be a help, to be a leader, to be a minister? The problem is... We think that doctors handle all the medicine, lawyers handle all the cases, and ministers handle all the ministry. But the truth is, Peter said that we are all a royal priesthood. We are all a holy nation. When you receive the Holy Ghost, you didn't receive a, a saint Holy Ghost, and we've got the preacher Holy Ghost. You've got the Sunday school teacher Holy Ghost, but this person's just got the the, the pew warmer Holy Ghost. We've all got the same Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, it said, But after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall receive power, and you shall be witnesses of me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. You've got the Holy Ghost. You've got the treasure that's laid up in earthen vessels. You've got the anointing. You've got the power. You've got the ability to do something great for God. You may feel like you're hanging on to nothing, but it may be time to get involved and to Stop worrying about what I'm going through and focus on the needs of someone else. As they come to the music, I'm almost finished. Psalm 73 and 12. Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. For if I will say, I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. 
looking at the world, looking at injustice, looking at the problems. I'll tell you, there's strength when we step into the sanctuary. There's strength when we step into pre-service prayer. There's strength when we worship, when it's time to worship. There's strength when we connect. There's strength when we're there for one another. Come on, one verse said, you are spiritual. Restore one another. Come on, this is a place of restoration. This it may not be a place of perfection, but I'll tell you, I'd rather be here than anywhere else in the earth. I'd rather be right here than somewhere where people do not care about my soul people may offend you things may fall apart and crumble and you don't even know why and you're standing there like John in the prison saying God I've been faithful why is all this stuff happening to me why did this person lie on me? Why is this person slandering me? Why are these things happening? I'll tell you, whatever happens in the world is going to happen in the church. The Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust. There's problems in the world and there's problems in the church. But the difference in the church is there's people that are trying to get better. There's people that are trying to move the ball forward. There's people that do care about you. There's people that do pray for you. There's people that really do believe in the Lord's power. There's people that really do say what they say and mean what they mean. There really are people left like that. But if you choose to take one situation and use that as the paintbrush to cover your entire life, you may walk away offended and never get right with God. But if you can say, you know what, I'm not living for them anyways. My walk with God wasn't for them anyways. You don't like my shoes, you can't afford them anyways. I'll tell you, I'm not worried about anybody else's opinion. I want to live for God, and I want to be faithful to Him. I wonder today, is there anyone that feels as if you're hanging on to nothing? Is there anyone here that's waiting for an answer to prayer, and you haven't seen anything happen yet? Is there anyone here that's waiting for a miracle to arrive and you don't know when it's coming? Is there anyone here that's waiting for God to give you a good report for once in your body? Is there anyone today that's waiting for an open door, that's waiting for a promotion, that's waiting for a breakthrough, waiting for things to finally get better? Is there anyone that's waiting but feels like there's nothing left to hang on to? Let's pray for a moment. God, today, I just pray that you'll speak to someone who's hanging on to nothing. According to the doctors, there's nothing left to hang on to. According to my past, there's nothing left to hang on to. According to my business, there's nothing left to hang on to. According to the bank account, there's nothing left to hang on to. According to everything I just lost this year and last year, there's nothing to hang on to. Come on. According to all the problems I've been having, there's nothing to hang on to. Come on. According uh, to everything that, that hasn't happened yet, there's nothing left to hang on to. It was Hannah that went to Shiloh year after year and received nothing, although she prayed for her miracle. Sometimes you have no choice but to keep coming back to the house of God and believing one more time. Because if you give up somewhere in the middle, you'll never know God's true outcome.
You may feel as if you're hanging on to nothing. But did you know what holds up a building? It's the frame of the building. The roof, the walls, everything hangs on the frame. And you may feel like your world is hanging on to nothing. But in Hebrews 11:3 it says, Though faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which seen were not made of those which do appear. Today, you're not hanging on to nothing, but you're hanging on to the word of a true and faithful God. You're hanging on to one that said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. You're hanging on to one that said, he would be with you even when you walk through the fires. They shall not overtake you. The floods, they shall not overtake you. He said, I will be with you. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, it says, His name shall be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. But the issue is, in the middle of everything we go through, there may be nothing happening right now nothing the people of Israel marched around Jericho six times and nothing happens absolutely nothing Elijah's servant Elijah heard from the Lord that there was going to be a rain that, that, that took care of this trout and he, he looked at his servant he said servant he said go look Go look for the sign of the rain that God has promised me. Go look. The man of God is speaking to someone saying, go look and check out. Because I'm telling you right now that God told me it's going to rain. But when he went and looked six times, still nothing happened. It was Naaman that went to Elisha. And he went to Elisha with leprosy. And he told him, you need to go and you need to dip in the river Jordan. And he dipped in the river Jordan six times. And nothing happened. But between the people that marched around the walls and Elijah's servant looking for a cloud and Naaman going under the waters of the Jordan, there wasn't anything that happened until the seventh time. On the seventh time, God moved upon the circumstance. But the issue today, First Pentecostal Church, we don't know when that seventh time is coming for us. They had clear direction. They had a clear outline. But the life that I live doesn't have an outline. I don't know when the answer is coming. I don't know when the miracle is going to be here. I don't know when that door is going to open. I don't know when that mountain is going to move. I don't know what's going to happen next. But all I can do is say today might be the seventh time. Let's all stand in the house of the Lord today. Somebody, you need to keep going. You need to keep praying. One verse said that if we faint not in due season, we shall reap everything that we've sown. I don't want to give up in the middle of nothing because if I stay faithful and I stay committed, there's a seventh time that's coming for me and it's coming for you. This woman of Canaan comes to Jesus. Canaan was an enemy of God. 
Canaan was on the outside of the promises looking in. Canaan was a visitor. Canaan was a guest. Canaan didn't have anything coming. But she comes to Jesus. Says, Lord, help me. Have mercy on me. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. But he answered her not a word. When I read this, something that stands out to me is that the woman looks at Jesus and says, help me. Have mercy on me. Greater than the situation you're dealing with is you. Greater than the miracle is that you are living for God. Greater than the miracle today, the first thing we come to God and say, God, even if that miracle doesn't happen, I just want to know that my relationship is right with you. We're praying for God to do some things for us, but we've got to stop. Matthew 6 and 33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Before I ever start seeking for the hand of God to move, I need to seek the face of God and have a relationship with God. I need to come before Him and make sure that my life is aligned with His statutes and aligned with His judgments. The first thing she came before God with was, God, have mercy on me. God, I want to be right with you. And here are the situations that I'm dealing with. But He answered her not a word. John 1 and 1 said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and the world was made by Him. He was in the world, and the world knew Him not. He was the Word. But in verse 23, it says, He answered her not a word. He was full of life. He was full of miracles. He was full of power. One verse said that He gave Him the Spirit without measure. Jesus Christ had power to cease the winds and the waves. Jesus Christ had the power to raise the dead. Jesus Christ had the power to walk on water. Jesus Christ had the power to be raised up on the third day. But in this situation, in this woman's need, she asked him for help and he answered her not a word. It wasn't that he couldn't do it, but I believe that he was stepping back to see what she was going to do. He answered her and said, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not me to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Not only did he go from not answering her at all, but now when she brings her request, he's deflecting it. He's saying, You don't understand. I'm not here for you. You don't understand. As far as I'm concerned, you're leaving this place today with absolutely nothing. I'm sorry, but that's just what it's going to be today. But through her persistence and through her refusal to accept no as an answer, Jesus told her in verse 27, O woman, great is thy faith, be it even unto thee as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole that very same hour. 
She would have went home with nothing. She may have felt like she was hanging on to nothing. And today, I want to tell you that if you leave this place without interacting with God, without an encounter with God, you may very well receive nothing. You may very well not be healed. You may very well not have anything opened up for you. You may very well not get the answer to your prayers. But if you'll come to the front today, if you'll give the situation to the Lord, it may very be, it may very well be today that is your seventh time. Today you may not have anything coming your way, but if you can worship God, there's something that has to happen. Jesus is looking at her and says, what are you doing? Even his disciples says, Lord, send her away. She's crying after us. Send her away because she won't stop. Send her away because she won't give up. Send her away because she's not letting go. Come on. It was Jacob that said, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. And he wrestled with the Lord all night long. He said, I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to give up because I'm desperate for my miracle. I'm desperate for an answer to prayer. I'm desperate for my healing. I'm desperate for my breakthrough. I'm desperate for you, God. I'm desperate for you, God. I'm desperate for you, God. Is there anybody here today that's desperate for God? Come on, is there anybody today that's really going to reach for God today and say, God, I'm not letting go. God, I'm not giving up. God, I'm holding on. Come on, somebody, let's flood these altars today. Let's fill these altars as much as we can. Let's give people room today. Yeah.